0: introduce the Minister Chris Palmer here uh, in a moment. Uh, Before that, I wanted to share a little bit of the background around Shopify and uh, the story behind that and why we really brought them here today. So I wanted to share a bit of, yeah, history of Shopify. Now this is all from their uh, press team. So their mission is to make commerce better for everyone since 2006 is when it started. So just over a decade ago, they started an online store to sell snowboard equipment directly to those who love the sport as much as snowboarders do. They could have listed products on a number of marketplaces, but they wanted to own their brand and build relationships with their customers along with selling their goods. Such a tool didn't exist, so they built it for themselves. They soon realized a number of other stores were in need of a hassle-free platform to build their retail business and thus Shopify was born. They focus on making commerce better for everyone so businesses can focus on what they do best, building and selling their products. Today, merchants use the platform to manage every aspect of their business, from products to orders to customers, selling online, in retail stores, and on the go. They have 600,000 active Shopify stores, 72 billion in sales, They were a team of five people working out of a local coffee shop in Ottawa, and now they're a team of over 3,000 working in five offices across North America. They're very proud of their success and growth, and they've worked hard to nurture a company with great values and culture. They encourage everyone to experiment, take risks, and push the envelope. The opportunity to shape how retail works is in their hands, our hands, everyone's hands, Over the coming years, the way purchasing works will change at a fundamental level. Customers will expect options of where and how to buy in-store or online, delivered or for pickup. It's an incredible, exciting time for this industry and they're going to be right at the center of it for the most part. If you don't know what Shopify is, it's the leading cloud-based multi-channel commerce platform. And merchants can use the software to design, set up, and manage their stores across multiple sales channels, including web, mobile, social media, marketplaces, brick and mortar locations, and pop-up shops. The platform also provides merchants with a powerful back office and a single view of their business. The Shopify platform was engineered for reliability and scale, making enterprise-level technology available to businesses of all sizes. Headquartered in Ottawa, Canada, Shopify currently powers over 600,000 businesses in approximately 175 countries and is trusted by brands such as Red Bull, Nestle, Rebecca Minkoff, Kylie Cosmetics and many more. Uh, Started in 2006, yeah, over 3,000 employees. They have over 2,400 apps in their app store, over 600,000 merchants and 72 billion in sales and 780 experts in their network. So I just want to share that information. And a little bit about Jordan uh, before I intro Chris here. He's actually a New Brunswick native. So yeah, he was a former Fredericton city councillor at the age of 21. He joined Shopify in 2015. And over the past three years, he's accelerated there and he runs something called Shopify for startups. Definitely check it out. Startup Zone is a partner with them just as of recently. And that's the Shopify accelerator partnership. I'd like to introduce uh, Minister of Economic Development Tourism, Chris Palmer. He has a background in small business uh, and is a huge supporter of the sector, which is incredibly important for the province here and for Atlantic Canada, all of Canada and uh he's been involved in a number of tech startups so without further ado please welcome minister of economic development tourism chris palmer
1: thank you very much and good afternoon everyone i hope everyone's been enjoying themselves it seems like everything i've been seeing on social media it seems like it's a worthwhile event and people seem to be having a lot of fun here as well which is great So it's a special time for emerging entrepreneurs in Prince Edward Island. Our economy is as strong as it's ever been. And with a strong economy comes opportunity. Young and emerging innovators and business people are in a better position to succeed today than at any other time in our province's history. For one, their entrepreneurial spirit has never been greater. And all over the island, new businesses are stepping up to meet demands for new and innovative products and services and to provide existing goods into underserved markets. A few great examples can be found here in our brewing industry. There's never been greater demand for high-quality craft beer. In the last five years... Three new craft breweries have opened on PEI and two of them in rural PEI. Just down the road from here at Upstreet Brewery, owner Mitch Cobb was recently recognized as one of the top 50 CEOs by Atlantic Business Magazine and received the President's Award from the Charlottetown Chamber of Commerce, all inside three years of operation. That's incredible work, and a sure sign Upstreet has tapped into an underserved market with a quality product. The thing is, we want to grow more Mitch Cobbs in our province. We just need to put people in a position to make their idea into reality. And I think we're doing our part as government. The startup zone is giving islanders with good ideas a space and resource to help their ideas grow. We've seen many successes already thanks to the excellent work done by the organization. Island Capital Partners is providing seed capital from local investors to take emerging businesses to the next level. Government has partnered with ICP from the onset and we are very pleased with the results so far. Events like this are ones that give entrepreneurs the tools they need to succeed in an incredibly competitive environment. And our grant and financing support is here helping businesses expand, innovate, and add jobs. Our ecosystem may be young, but it's already proving its worth to our reputation as a place to invest. The credit for that success goes to you. It's your hard work. It's your imagination, and it's your willingness to take risks. As I mentioned before, events like Invest Atlantic give business people vital information, connections, and advice on how to make ideas into reality. Today's keynote speaker is no stranger to the subject. John Graham is Strategic Partners Manager with Shopify and Program Manager at Shopify for startups. Shopify partners with accelerators to deliver perks and programming to technology and merchant startups. The company attracts technology to their platform and accelerates merchant revenues by focusing on founders and helping them solve challenges they face as young companies. Shopify has over 4,500 employees around the world and provide services to over 600,000 merchants, as we have heard. The company has seen incredible growth over the last two years and shows no sign of slowing down. So with that, I welcome John Graham to deliver his afternoon's keynote address. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, folks. Thank you for the kind introduction. I really appreciate being here. Uh, It's nice to be back on the East Coast I'm going to talk about a couple of things today, really. When I was originally excuse me, asked to come out, uh, the topic I was really excited to, to bring to uh, Invest Atlantic was about platforms, about platform technology, the role of platforms in early stage companies in particular. And This comes from a lot of lessons that I've learned just observing the startup landscape today and uh, observing technology as it's sort of changing pressures between investors and between startups and the sort of problems that these companies are trying to solve. Um, typically, I work with uh, technology companies. I work with companies that are building onto Shopify to service our merchants, uh, but uh, I had a special request to make sure that there was merchant-focused, uh merchant-focused pieces in this as well. So I'm going to try to take the platform concept and really apply it to both audiences, apply it to uh, merchants and talk about the role that it plays in taking a product to the market in early stage and some of the sort of new ideas and new uh, understandings we have about, uh, about merchants that are uh, trying to find customers and uh, maybe challenge some of the old conventions around uh, go to market strategies. Um, and then we're also going to talk about platform companies, not just for companies that are uh, looking to build onto platforms, but maybe companies that should become platforms, and maybe how to identify yourself as a platform company, and some of the key considerations that are going to be important if you're going down that path. But I want to start off with thanks. Thanks for bringing me out here. Uh, you have a really great crew here. Um, one of them only has one shirt, uh, uh, Pat, you're wearing the same shirt uh, from the picture. Uh, it was actually kind of funny, uh, when I showed him this slide, he even had his sunglasses in, uh, so you could think that it was taken today. But truly, you guys have a remarkable team here, and uh, uh, I just felt like such a, an honored guest to become uh, become an Invest Atlantic alumni and be part of this whole thing. Um, the other cool thing about doing this here is uh, I get a chance to say thanks to this guy. Um, his name's Daniel Burka. Uh, when I was going through the startup land, as we'll call it, uh, here in Atlantic Canada, mostly at Fredericton. Uh, this is a person that was introduced to me. Um, if you don't know who Daniel Berka is, he's from PEI. He's a PEI native. He fan- was one of the founders of Silver Orange. Um, he went on to become uh, uh, the d- lead designer for Dig, a really popular uh, platform back when I was a young fella. Um And then uh, he ended up joining forces with Kevin Rose, to form Milk. He was a co-founder of Milk, and uh, most recently he's a design partner at Google Ventures. So right here from PEI, you guys guys have always been creating incredible talent that's gone out into the world and been servicing startups, uh, like me from New Brunswick, so this is a cool chance for me to come back and pay PEI for what you guys have been doing for a long time. Uh, As you already talked about, uh, I live in Ottawa now, but I'm from New Brunswick, Uh, I'm a recovering politician. I've been uh, in remission for about eight years now. Uh, uh, I'm also a startup junkie, I transitioned from politics to entrepreneurship, Uh, not seamlessly but I did transition Uh, and uh, most recently I've been a strategic partnerships manager at Shopify building our startup program which leads my mom to send texts like this, can you explain what you do to me again? I get this on a regular basis, (laughs) uh, uh, usually at odd hours and it's always high pressure situations because parents like to brag about their kids so you've got to deliver for them. Um, so what I do initially, I was a developer advocate. I worked in developer relations and helped companies navigate the Shopify ecosystem and come into our platform and, and, deliver tremendous service for our merchants. Um, that's changed and I've been able to shift my focus to a true passion, uh, focusing on accelerators, focusing on that as a partnership and figuring out how Shopify as like a company that's just totally ingrained in entrepreneurship from our like core values and, uh, take what we do to, uh, to the audience that, that is not just our customers, but our partners in delivering this value. Um, one more thing about text from my mom. Uh, yesterday, we had a, a Matt Spoke speak. Matt Spoke speak. Um, and he talked a lot about uh, blockchain. He touched on cryptos. Um, this is uh, Bitcoin. Uh, this is from October 2017 to February 2018. I worked with a ton of nerdy people that love to gamble and uh, make investments in cryptos and stock market. And uh, I've been a little bit critical about all the hype lately. And I kept telling my friends, like, I think this is a bubble, like back in November, back in uh, January. And my mom was the one that proved it. And she proved it when she sent me this text. Can you explain Bitcoin to me? (laughs) As soon as she said that, I knew that I had to tell all my friends to pull their money out, and it's no coincidence, it's no coincidence that that text happened right here. <laughs> right. so if you ever need uh, cryptocurrency advice, just uh, I'll give my mom's number out after, I guess. <laughs> Uh, okay. This is what we're going to do. Uh, you already touched a lot, Patrick, on, uh, on Shopify, so kind of going to breeze through that, but I want to give uh, people in the audience like a quick look at product, uh, what we're doing, what we're about, how we make it happen. Um, then I'm going to touch on the topic that I think is really important for startups here. Um, I call it the harpoon versus the net. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Then we're going to focus on what that means for merchants. We're going to focus on what that means for developers. And when I say developer, I'm really talking about technology companies. Um, And then maybe I'm going to talk to investors a little bit. Um, Might challenge some stuff. Don't hurt me. I'm just a nice East Coast boy too. Um, What's Shopify? Patrick, you already said it. We're out here to make commerce better for everyone. Um, That's really like, I can't tell you how ingrained into every single person at Shopify's attitude this is. This is what motivates us. This is why we get out of bed. We get to see really cool things. Uh, If all goes well, I'll be able to show a little video about a new commerce experience that I got to create with some very high profile uh, partners um, due to tremendous work from our team at Shopify and some brands that you're familiar with. Uh, but this is what we're about. We want it to be easy. We want to make it more simple. We want to make it uh, accessible for people to to make products like Mallow. Uh, do take that from an idea to a market uh, overnight, if that's possible. We want to be part of that. So this is your home base. This is what Shopify looks like when you're logged in. You can think about Shopify as like the merchant or entrepreneur operating system. Um, this is your dashboard where you can dig in and, and figure out exactly what, uh, what happened while you were away. Uh, we find that a lot of our merchants, this is the first thing they check. They're not checking email. They're not checking Instagram. They're checking their Shopify app when they wake up in the morning. And it's often one of the last things that they uh, check it, uh, in the evening, which is pretty cool to think that we are that sort of ingrained in, in their behavior um, uh, with Shopify. Uh, Obviously, products and collections are massively important. So we wanted to make it really easy for you to create a product, list your products, understand your products. This is everything from uh, your pricing. Uh, We want you to be able to have variants. We want you to be able to make sure that the product diversity uh, reflects what you're trying to sell. And we want it to look beautiful. So we give you lots of options to to package it properly. Um, uh, Collections, it's like a meta layer above that. This is the idea of how you group products together. If you're in fashion, this might be your spring-summer line. Um, if you're Mallow, this might be beverages or tea. Dry, dried goods, is that what we call that? So a little bit about Mallow. Uh, I think this is a really cool company. Um, they, uh, I think the catchphrase um, uh, is to help you out when you reach unintended heights. Alleviation, yeah. So I wanted to uh, I was joking, I said like if we had an edible and it was legal, then uh maybe we could test. Uh I told people last night that maybe I should have it about an hour before the keynote and chug some mallow and see how it goes. But they didn't they didn't go for it. Uh it's all right, groovy. <laughs> um um but, um, yeah, collections, uh, that's all about how you organize your products and make it really easy for you to do cool things with them and segment them throughout different parts of your shop um, so that customers can find what they look for as soon as they want to find it. Themes, design matters. Everybody wants to have a beautiful-looking store. That's why we put a lot of effort into uh, creating our own... Uh, Uh, our own language with Liquid, making sure that people are able to uh, customize them as they wish with a a sort of visual editor, but also make the code accessible for people to tweak that if they have an elevated game. This is really the start of where our partners uh, come into play here. We have a theme store as well, where we sell an insane number of themes to merchants. Um, Partners have built entire businesses on creating these themes, having them published, making them compatible with uh, the Shopify backend. they're pretty beautiful, um, big showcase ones. This one's called startup. I really like it a lot. It's like a single product page if you're just selling a single product original, right? Uh, pages uh, going deep on this, like you have the ability to flush out the non sort of commerce components of your business. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about how brand is so important uh, now. And uh, in the early stages, it's just as important as the later stages. Um, You really need to build that connection with your customer, and this is how you are able to create that story, build that narrative throughout the entire uh, web presence that you've created. Um, This is about shipping. This is about taxes. This is the stuff that's really complex if you're just getting started. We wanted to distill it down into something that's just massively simple. Um, We don't need you to research shipping rates. We can pull them real-time via uh, the APIs provided by Canada Post. Uh, by uh, UPS, USPS. We have partnerships with these companies, so you can create an order and then just print a label, attach it to your box. Let's make commerce really simple for everybody. Everybody loves taxes. Uh, we also take care of taxes for you, so just set it up, automate it, nice and nice and clean to go. Now, order management. This is uh, This is some good stuff. Order management can really, really quickly become an overwhelming part of your business, Uh, especially if you're starting to get traction. You've got orders going everywhere. You've got different uh, average order values. You've got different products. You've got different destinations, different packages. Um, We let you organize your orders exactly how you want. So you've got order tags. You can move these things seamlessly between different uh, fulfillment patterns. You can have them uh, fulfilled by third parties if you wanted to engage a warehouse or a dropshipping company to take care of it um you have the ability to create orders manually and send them out to customers to uh, have them complete payment or uh, just through the same method you can have merchants or have customers complete orders on your website and then uh, they all come to the same place Uh, the option of capturing payment automatically option of maybe want to check and see if it's a fraudulent order so uh, we give you a lot of control but we don't give you a ton of headaches so point of sale this is where shopify really starts to branch out Point of sale is really our foray into the IRL world of commerce. Um, we were an online store for a long time. That's what sort of Shopify was identified as I talked to a lot of companies. They're like Shopify, kind of like Squarespace, kind of like whatever. And they had no idea that we're doing in real life sales. We've got, um, a really, really sexy card reader. Um, I personally think it's one of the nicest piece of hardware on the market. Uh, we designed this internally. So we're also in the hardware space, um, accept debit, accept credit. Um, But we also have a full point of sale suite. So we're powering uh, some really cool brands uh, doing pop up shops with them, but also um, sort of mall size or mall caliber uh, franchises are starting to adopt Shopify as well. Bringing on to the technology side, this is where uh, partners come back into the play apps. We've got a partner ecosystem that's massively, massively important to our merchants. We have over 2,500 apps in our app store and they do everything we don't think of and and if it's not there, it probably will be eventually. We have a philosophy at Shopify that we want to build 80% of what merchants need, and we want to let partners solve the other 20%. And the idea here is that um, if we focus on that 80%, we can do that really, really well. But if we start going into creating effectively custom solutions and and getting really bespoke in how we approach the problems that a, a merchant faces, then we're going to have to figure out how that scales. And that's a challenge. And so um, we'll get into this a little bit more in a little bit. But uh, the approach that we took was a platform approach. We took the approach of uh, figuring out what our core product was, extending the APIs and setting them free into the wilderness and seeing what wild things people come up with. We've got drop shipping. We've got um, advanced Instagram analytics. We've got uh, a favorite app that I have seen come through recently. It's... uh, this is real. There's an app that lets you order pizza for your customers as a loyalty thing. So if you have a customer, you can click a button in your admin, and it'll deliver a pizza as a thank you. This is a real app that merchants use. So I don't know. Like, if you could think of it, there's probably a role for it on the App Store. Um, uh, you can search the, the apps based on category. So if you think about anything uh, that's important to running your business, it's probably on this list here. Um, We help with product sourcing. If you don't have the if you don't have an idea and you're just like, I want to start a side hustle and maybe I can uncover some sort of niche um, product sourcing connect with manufacturers in North America in Europe in uh, Asia, and they'll effectively drop ship any order that you want directly to your customers without the need for you to ever hold inventory, um, which includes you prototyping and manufacturing all the way through to uh, sourcing products from other companies. Um, Marketing, sales and conversion, that's obviously a massive part of commerce, so we want to make sure it's possible for companies to have access to the cutting edge technologies that are helping you understand your customers and and drive that that, uh, number up as high as possible when it comes to sales. Um, Inventory management's massive. Uh, We have uh, anything you're looking for. um, uh, If you have special needs around GDPR, we've got it for you. If you have special needs around making sure credit cards from this region aren't accepted or blocking postal codes from another uh, area, it's all there. Um, So I encourage anybody looking to Shopify to check out the App Store. Um, This is my heart and soul. I love our developers so much. Um, We have an insane roster of independent companies building technology for Shopify. That's what's powering the App Store. Um, We have, I think, 14,000 active developers uh, all around the world. They're every country that I could think of, except for at least one. Nobody in North Korea yet. We'll work on that invest North Korea. That needs to happen um, someday. Um, But we have have people all over the world that are building crazy technology. And uh, this is what it looks like when they get started. They come here. We try to provide docs. We try to provide um, uh, ideas uh, around how to get started. And uh, really, we just unleash them, let them run wild. And uh, it it turns out to be pretty important to our merchants. The average merchant has, uh, I think, uh, six or seven apps installed on their store. So this is just to say that we understand the value of our partner ecosystem and we want to reinforce that value by having a fair exchange. So these guys are building businesses through monetizing the services they're building, in some cases exclusively for Shopify. We've had businesses that are over 200 people now and they started out building Shopify apps. So quite a powerful idea if you think about the creation of an economy within, uh, within Canada through a single company. This is where I'd like to talk about more of what I see and less of what Shopify does and is about. Um, This'll come back to some Shopify centric stuff, specifically on the merchant side. Um, But a big part of my job is living in airplanes unlike some of the people here I travel around going to accelerators talking to startups In most cases having them ask me questions but then occasionally I get to ask them some questions too and uh, it's really interesting there's a lot of really exciting things going on and uh, when you aren't traveling around shop- around the world at Shopify there's a huge amount of inbound right like we're a growing company we're doing a lot of things right and uh, you could sit back and think everybody loves us, everybody knows everything about us, but when I go to accelerators in particular, I have to sort of realign a little bit because so I, I talk to people, and, and they might not see Shopify as what we are. They might think that we are an online store, and that's what we do, and we maybe aren't, like, a possible integration partner for them. And I found that to be really interesting because I assumed that that would be something that would come up in due diligence. Like, if we had... Startups that were going into accelerators, and if we had startups that were being heavily vetted, due diligence is applied to them. I figured there'd be due diligence on the part of the companies as well to understand potential partners, potential markets. What I found was that it's not a lack of due diligence really, but I think there's an attitude um, around what being an early stage company is and what the role for companies like Shopify can play in their life, might not be as realized to them as what we think it is inside. and So I wanted to challenge that today a little bit. This is where harpoons and nets comes in. I think, from my experience, a lot of companies are encouraged to throw harpoons. When I think, I think for, uh, from my perspective, I think there's a lot of value in casting nets. And this is what I mean by this. If you're an early stage company and you're trying to raise money, if you're trying to get investment and you're talking to investors, they want to know who your customers are. They want to know what their names are. They want to know what your relationship with is, uh, is with them. They want to know, do they love that product? How are you working with them? What are you learning from them? And this is great. This is important. It's like investors need that uh, assurance of product market fit. But I'm not totally convinced that that's the only way to achieve product market fit. It's an important one. But I think there's also something about approaching scale at early stage. There's also something about approaching partnerships at an early stage that I think can help companies reach that sort of identity sooner and ultimately understand themselves as a company or a product, where they fit into the world that they're going and how they can grow. And if you're patient in the early days, if you can afford to be patient rather, um, I think that, that we might have some good strategies in here. If you're a merchant and you're starting out, uh, my experience so far, first of all, is that merchants in accelerators is a relatively new phenomenon. Um, uh, I think uh, it was probably, it's probably been five or six years since I was last in an accelerator. And at that point in time, like merchants weren't even really invited to apply. Uh, merchants weren't necessarily seen as high growth Uh, high scale global audience companies and like I like to think Shopify can take some credit for this. That's no longer the case. Y Combinator is accepting product merchants like consumer packaged goods, fashion merchants in at a pretty like uh, exceptional rate, Uh, 500 startups, tech stars. We're seeing seed camp. Everybody that's a big player isn't focused on technology exclusively anymore. So that's great. But what comes with that is, like, I wonder I wonder how the attitude of SaaS investors and technology investors has shifted um, when they start to try to focus on this entirely different vertical. Um, because when I look at them, I see a lot of the same patterns being applied to merchants as uh, expectations are applied to uh, t- the developers and technology companies. Um, the first piece is... Wholesale. Wholesale is critically important if you want to get into an accelerator, if you want to get into uh, the investment game. There's an expectation that you're going to move massive volumes and you're going to have some customers that are going to buy a lot from you as opposed to a lot of customers that are going to buy a little bit. They want to have a sense of how big is the appetite for your product. Um, the other thing that I see with early stage uh, product companies or merchants as we call them, is that. The emphasis is overwhelmingly on moving real product um, and sales aren't really beginning until there are either commitments from wholesalers, meaning you're channeling your energy into those uh, big harpoon type clients um, or you're channeling your uh, energy into just manufacturing, getting your products prototype made. Um, and I think that, that that comes with some sacrifices. The first thing that I think is a really big sacrifice here is brand development uh, more and more. Uh, I think we can answer this introspectively here Um, when we buy things brand is incredibly important we're not just buying a product anymore we're buying into the identity of what's being sold and when you go the wholesale route uh, you can move volume but you often sacrifice that ability to identify uh, your own brand through customer engagement. You don't get to work directly with customers because you don't own your customers anymore. Somebody else is selling your product, that's their customer, and a sales channel for you to distribute your product, but you're not able to effectively have relationships with those customers in a direct one-to-one way that other channels are able to activate for you, which if you think about it at an early stage, that's when you need to be asking the most critical questions. That's when you need to be finding out who's loving my product, who's consuming it most, who, who is interested in, in becoming a repeat customer, who doesn't like my product, why can't I get those people? If you're using a channel through uh, wholesale or something like that, you're creating a little bit of a buffer there. Um, I recently had a chance to talk with, uh, uh, I won't name them, a really prominent American makeup company, maybe French, think American. Um, Some makeup company somewhere between America and Europe uh, was uh, in a meeting with me. I was in New York and we were just chatting about uh, this initiative that we're kind of like wedged in together on. And uh, I introduced myself, Jordan from Shopify and uh, I I don't know how it happened, but I tried to segue into talking a little bit about Shopify and the response was, oh no, we know about Shopify. I'm like, okay, great. They're like, no, not great. Uh, your your companies are destroying our market share right now. I'm like, okay, terrible way to start a conversation. Let's see where it goes. (laughs) But as we dug deeper, they knew exactly why that was happening. And it was because companies were skipping the distribution model. This is a product line that's prestigious, but it's also sold in CVS all around the world. They don't have any relationship with their customers they don't have any ability to understand their customers aside from being able to dig into the analytics that cvs is providing and uh, i don't know how robust the granular customer recruitment data is from a chain drugstore but on a product to product level it's really tough for you to to have confidence that that's coming and they understand and they're trying to figure out how they Go back in time now and build relationships with those customers. This is something that brands have an ability to do from day one now. Um, so, tying these three things together brand development, uh, it's, it's what people are buying, and as much as they're buying your product now. Um, if you do that properly, you would be able to get brand insight, and then uh, ideally, you get product market fit through that. Um, I think there's some strategies that go along with this. Um, the first one is. Manufacturing and uh, wholesale, like getting those big clients, those aren't mutually exclusive things. Um, You can go after securing a client um, that you can uh, have as a distributor prior to uh, having your product manufactured. Same goes with consumers. Uh, We have tons of evidence of this. We have tons of successful companies that have started selling long before they ever had product. Because people, if you have a good story to tell, are going to be excited to support you at that stage as well. Um, Two platforms that come to mind, uh, we'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, The other thing that I want to talk about in a second is omnichannel, this idea that the branded experience, it's one part of who you are, it's also also a willingness to meet customers where they are. and the last piece is just like be totally maniacal about your customers, like just go crazy over them, uh, obsess over the fine details, ask every question you have. This is all about selling products you don't have yet. This is all about finding who your customers are. It's all about how do I take this idea that I have and some clever marketing with and see if there's some legs to this. Can I can I take this idea and turn it into something? And this is. In my mind, this is better than investment. This is money that you get committed to you that's also customers. Uh, I've seen a lot of investors not use the software that they were provided um, or invested in, but this is, this is the realness. Like, this is what it's all about. You get customers. You get people you can talk to. You get people that are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, it's not an opportunity to uh, walk past um, so yeah, check those out if you don't have products. If you're trying to sell wholesale, whatever. Uh, try to sell before you have product. The other thing is this. Um, this is a little sort of representation of, of what customers are expecting today. They want to buy anywhere. They want you to meet them where they are because that's where commerce is happening now. That's, commerce isn't just bound to online stores and brick and mortar anymore. But for a lot of brands, they're still getting this. They're getting an inconsistent, disjoined buying experience. The cool thing about these sort of channels Amazon, Instagram, um, your brick and mortar setup, your distribution channels uh, like uh, Facebook is that they're all brand experience opportunities. They're places for you to engage people where they're most comfortable. You get a chance to uh, be the last thing a person thinks about before they go to bed. Uh, you get a chance because, like, I'm not checking my email then. I'm, I'm, like, probably on Insta or Snap or doing something goofy with my friends. Um, I'm not, like, necessarily going through Amazon then, but I probably am at another point in time. So meet people where they are. Find people. Take your brand to them. You've got to really, like, embrace this idea of being a pioneer or a trailblazer with your own company and go out and explore. Find your customers where they are. Don't sit back and wait for them to come to you. I think that's a very dangerous, dangerous move. Um, If you'd like to talk later about how Shopify enables all this, I'd be happy to share with you. Uh, The final part on the first thing was uh, about obsessing over your customers. Uh, Our app store, awesome technology uh, designed just to do that. If you've got emails, if you've got Instagram logins, if you've got existing customers, we can dig in. There's ways for you to engage those people, to extract really clever insights uh, and, and find out things that you never knew uh, about your own company, which is a pretty powerful thing to have if you're willing to ask questions. Uh, a lot of startup founders don't like negative feedback. Seek negative feedback as often as you can. Seek any feedback. It's all valuable as long as you can distill it properly. Um, so this is just to say that there's tons of technology out there to make this all very simple for you. Um, so that's the harpoon and net thing on the uh, on the merchant side. On the developer side, uh, I don't think it's that different. Um, and it's been that way for a lot longer. Developers and technology companies aren't new to accelerators. Um, but I'm wondering if, if there needs to be like a subtle paradigm shift or a subtle change in, in how we move these companies forward and what we expect from them. We're still looking for big-time clients. We still want to know who those first three or five customers that are buying into your product are. Um, And then the other thing that is often uh, sort of needs to be on the radar or the horizon of of a a tech company that's looking for these clients is how do we offer this big client a complete solution when big companies aren't necessarily experimental. They're adverse to tech that's going to fail or not do everything or be fragmented. So there's a pressure for complete solutions. And I think if you give into those pressures too much, I think these are the three things that you sacrifice that could be really, really helpful at an early stage. You sacrifice the ability to scale. That's so important. You've got to plan for scale. Uh, it's okay to uh, not be ready to scale, but you've got to plan for scale. Um, this means your customer acquisition. You have to understand how you're going to scale to acquire customers. You've got to understand how you're going to scale deployment. You've got to understand how you're going to uh, scale for load and usage. Um, so if you are building bespoke one on one solutions for for a shiny pony customer, chances are you're going to get feature creep. Chances are you're going to be forced into a corner where you're Your whole investment round depends on having this customer happy. This customer knows it, so they're just grinding you to get these features out that are super important to them, but they might not matter to anybody else. It's great if they're going to buy you, but that's sort of an all-in attitude. Um, The other thing about this is partnerships. It's really important to be able to have uh, partnerships uh, going forward. And if you're building in a way that is uh, siloed, you're you're not going to be able to make your technology as extensible. And by that I mean like how developers and other teams are able to engage what you've built and take it to a market in different areas. And that's essentially the third piece too is you don't know what your product or market fit is necessarily when you're at an early stage. You're trying to figure that out. Um, and that requires you, if you're building in a really solid way, to be that sort of flashlight that's shining around that means that the only options for product market fit are the areas you're looking so how do you expand that how do you make that wider so that product market fit is a more emergent thing for your company um, I think partnerships is, is arguably the best way to achieve that um, so the strategy here platform or be platformed uh, I think that there are product companies and there are platform companies and there's a spectrum where people exist somewhere in between uh, A platform company uh, uh, that might not be you, uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work with other platform companies. Um, If you find mutual customers and you know that you can help the customers of another company, check and see if they have a platform. Check and see if there's an ability for you to integrate what you've got, maybe even a simplified version of it, just to put it out, just for that company to sell it, just to figure out if if there's an appetite there and if there's a, a fit within that audience. The other thing that I think comes with this strategy is just focus on what you do really well and only do that. Become experts at what you're experts at. Don't try to be everything to everybody. That's where feature creep comes in. That's just uh, laying the groundwork for developer debt. Uh, It's a really dangerous path to go down. And if you get the sense, if you are a company that's starting to do everything, Think about the signal that's sending to potential partners, their appetite to engage you as a partner, to build onto your platform or to integrate with you. They're going to be worried that you're just going to try to swallow them or compete with them on every single feature. Um, So focus on what you're best at. Since we're talking about platforms, uh, this is, I think, a succinct way of putting it. Platforms are structures that allow multiple products to be built within the same technical framework. Um, We use platforms so much. I see people taking pictures with their platforms, iPhone. Uh, fun fact, Steve Jobs actually hated the App Store, arguably the most important platform in the world right now. Um, we use them for Facebook. We use them uh, for Airbnb. Uh, there's uh, marketplaces that are platforms, but then there are like, also, of course, technology platforms. But I think my favorite way of thinking about platforms uh, is uh, uh, coming up in a second but I just want to stress that I want you to think about platforms. You don't have to be one. You don't have to integrate with one, but it's something you have to consider at an early stage. This is a quote from Kyle Wilde. He's CEO of Keen.io, a company based in San Francisco. We were talking a while ago, and he was telling me about this Twitter rampage he went on uh, where he talked about uh, product companies uh, versus tech, uh, platform companies, and he said the product companies are like farms. And platform companies are like rainforests. So go on. pretty interested in this. Um, and he said, "Yeah, think about it." He's like, "If you have a farm, what do you do? You fence it off, you sandbox it. If there's something that you didn't plant in the farm, it's a weed, you get rid of it. Uh, you have a certain expectation of what people are going to do with whatever that farm grows, uh, which is like user behavior, trained user behavior. Uh, but rainforests are totally opposite. They thrive on chaos. It's a mix of people, mix of ideas, trying to figure out the best way to make use of of what it is around them. If something grows that you didn't expect there, it's a medicine potentially or a new flower. Um, there's no like gate to get into the rainforest or to participate in that sort of biodiversity. Um, more like concretely, like. If we think about product market fit from a product company, it's very pursued, like you're going after, you're hunting out, trying to find that. But with a platform company or going through a platform, it's more of an emergent thing. Uh, Product market fit, it's still effort, but it more or less reveals to you because you exposed yourself to the opportunity of of that product market fit emerging. Product companies really depend on predictability. Uh, uh, Investors depend on predictability to some extent. Uh, This is what makes it challenging for platforms to uh, raise money sometimes because they thrive on chaos. Um, They thrive on the creation of the ecosystem around them. Um, And then uh, uh, I think one of the other probably most important things about product companies and platforms is that in a platform company. You've got an entire community innovating for you. You've got people that are monetizing their services to make your product better. Whereas in a, in a product company, you're, a, uh, you're depending on internal innovation in order to drive that, which means that you've got to be constantly rethinking everything. And depending on, the, depending on your appetite for investment, you've got to be re-upping how much money you're spending on R&D um, and have a lot of confidence that you've got the right answer. What if you do want to build a platform? I think there are just a couple things that uh, apply to all platforms and every platform does have its differences, but I think one of the first things you need to look at is uh, what does a fair exchange of value look like? Uh, What's the relationship between you and the people that are building your uh, technology onto your platform? Um, if uh, If you're the person building the platform, you've got to make sure that your developer tools are accessible and attractive to work with. Don't be coding in super obscure languages unless that's absolutely necessary. Um, JS is perfectly fine. Um, uh, Make your APIs coherent. Use good naming conventions. Um, And then I think this is a... Uh, an important one to slide in is protect your own product. If you're going to open up an ecosystem and you're going to share your customers with people, have a damn good identity. Understand what you are doing um, at your absolute core. It might not be your value offering, but it's the thing that you can't have people replace you on in order for you to retain that customer. Um, That can be harder uh, than it sounds uh, to identify, but it's an important part of that process Um, and your customers are a good audience for you to talk to, to figure that out. Benefits of this. You've got better product focus. You're not focusing on being everything to everybody. Uh, You're able to really dig in and think about what it is that you offer. Um, Your acceleration curve is going to, or your innovation curve is going to accelerate because you've got an entire world building for you if you've made it attractive enough. Um, And ideally, you're going to improve your own internal workflow. One of the things about platform companies is that platforms work internally, too. You're able to modularize new technology and plug and play. And when you need to refactor something or uh, deploy a replacement of existing tech, it's removing and plugging in instead of shutting down, rebuilding, and building back up. It's, It's much more simple. So your ability to address future support that changes drastically. If you're finding a platform, just try to figure out where your customers live. What are the the technologies that are used by customers that you have or that you want to go after? Um, Look for the terms of service. Make sure that they're favorable for you uh, to engage that platform. Um, And understand the mothership's roadmap. Make sure that if you're going to go all in on a platform, that you're not building something on their technical roadmap that they're going to displace down the road. Um, that can also be a bit hard. It depends on the relationship you have with that uh, platform company. Uh, finding a platform. Uh, the benefits of this, your customer acquisition costs go down to the floor. Uh, you are on a website where people are able to come in. They're able to check you out, evaluate how you fit in their business, and ideally one-click install. Um, if it's set up really properly. Um, this does, this means that you can uh, focus your sales uh, efforts on different places and really enjoy being like diverse in your approach. Um, your workflows will be more tightly knit within how customers expect to use your product as it interacts with other products. Um, and then uh, I think that there's a possible ROI from the partnership as um, if you do a good job, partners will advocate on your behalf and say, Hey, we, want to be your uh, service provider and we can't do this thing but we have this company here in our in our portfolio that does and we'd love for them to come on as well um, it's something that's not uncommon common with shopify we've made a lot of companies successful because they solve important problems to us investors i don't have answers for you because so i'm not an investor uh uh maybe someday but i just want to like i just want to encourage just like some ways to think about uh evaluating companies that that may or may not have platform-esque potential. Whether they're a merchant and their customer base is direct to consumer, or whether they're a technology company and they may have a fit for a platform or uh may be a platform themselves. I think I think that there's uh it would be really helpful for, for me selfishly if I went to Accelerators and their investors were encouraging companies to push for scale and diversity, to consider scale at the earlier stages, and consider how um, their technology is extensible but are also looking for ways to leverage the extensibility of other platforms for customer acquisition. The other thing that I think is important is uh, ask platform questions. Talk about platforms with your companies. Um, make sure that they're thinking about trying to find these partners and trying to figure out where their quickest paths to uh, growth are. Um, And then uh, one thing that I would love to see is uh, anti-fragility in the long term become a priority uh, as a feature for companies um, as opposed to easy quick wins that you can knock out. (laughs) Bobs, 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 bobs.